Hello, everybody, and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA. Today, uh, this week, we got a treat for you. We're uh, we're going to uh, run for you the recording that I did with Jonathan Doyle at NCEA Virtual. Uh, we had a podcast with Jonathan a few weeks back, and then we followed that up with a Q&A session at NCA Virtual, where Kathy Mears and I posed uh, some questions to Jonathan, and we got some questions from all those who were in attendance, and uh, it's exciting, and it's a great follow-up to the podcast we did with Jonathan just a few weeks ago. So hope you enjoy uh, Jonathan Doyle at NCEA Virtual this week. Fantastic. Uh, just, you know, stoked to have some time with you guys, and I think you've uh, you've all managed to do one of the greatest pivots in educational history to go from the immensity of that live planning to to pulling off what you're doing here and and I've been able to follow that for the last 24 hours is amazing. So great pivot and uh, great to have some time with you guys today. So my first question is, as, as I don't know how about you, Jonathan. I know you do podcasts too, but what I found is after our podcast ended when we recorded it, uh, I recorded it Saturday, I think. Um, or I recorded it Friday, you recorded it Saturday. We had a great little conversation for about five, 10 minutes and just caught up about family and kind of how you're doing. And, and one of the things we talked about is our shared love of, of physical fitness and, and working out. And you were gonna go run for a marathon, run a marathon the next day. And we had this great conversation. And so what I, I was thinking about today when I knew I was gonna have a moment to kind of tee this up for you is how does, how does that work for you with your spirituality, with your own kind of individual growth of you as a human being, both as a, as a faith-filled person, but just as a person, how does exercise and fitness really work into that for you? I think, like I said to you on, on Saturday, it's just so integral. Um, my wife, Karen, says that there's, you know, there's good Jonathan and less good Jonathan. And if Jonathan doesn't go for a run, uh, she's always been enormously supportive. She's like, you know, get out the door. Look, I, for me, it's, it's just been a huge part of life. I think, um, you know, my grandfather, he died at 44 of a huge coronary. I'm 46 now. My father had his first heart, heart bypass in his 50s. So as a young guy, I was always like, I think I imbibed something growing up and I always wanted to, uh, you know, to stay on top of that. And I just, for me, it's just always been, it's, it, it's integral in terms of that classic concept of integration, that the spiritual life kind of, uh, you know, for me has been part of, you know, physical fitness has just been a huge part of it. And also for thinking time, I think, especially for educators, because you, you, you have to be creative so often, you're giving so much. And for me, it's that unstructured time, you know, where we live, it's quite beautiful. We can run the trails. I think some of you would have seen the video of a kangaroo that was not staged. That was a live kangaroo, was not trained. Um, so often I just find, uh, you know, getting up there and the beauty of it too. I mean, from a spiritual perspective, we often talk about, I often talk about the transcendentals, truth, beauty, and goodness. Uh, and, you know, theologians like, you know, Von Balthasar would say that all of us have a dominant transcendental truth, beauty, or goodness, and we need to improve the others. So for me, running, writing, you get that exposure to beauty which can be quite profound. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just a big part of the mix and, and a big part of happy family life is making sure that, uh, you know, I've, and I've just got a lot of nervous energy you always have since I was young. So burning some of that off is also good as well. One of the things, you know, I've found is um, with me, it's, I vary the intensity of my exercise. Sometimes I have a more intense one. Sometimes I do kind of just a moderate kind of heart. Those moderate ones, I think very clearly. It's actually where I tend to be very creative and, and almost innovative. I think very, 
openly when I'm doing that, that even kind of heart rate. Uh, yeah, I think there's, there's two places in life where you come up with genius insights. It's you know, the shower and sometimes when you're out exercising, it's that, that state of mind. I think the other cool thing for teachers as well is one of the things the internet's done in this, this technological revolution of the last, say, 20, 30 years is I often say that it's democratized access to knowledge. And I wrote about that in the recent book, by which I mean there is a vast amount of incredibly interesting material that we can be listening to and learning from all the time. So people could be listening to this going, well, Jonathan, I want to go run a marathon. And I go, no, but you can walk around the block. And there's just so much great content around at the moment. So I find myself listening to, you know, the best audio books. And uh, I just encourage people to say, find what you love, you know, find the kind of you know, content that you really like. And uh, you can make that physical exercise much more enjoyable and, uh, and just give yourself great content, great, you know, great ideas that flow into the classroom. Wonderful, wonderful. Talk a little bit about the, where your life's been the last six months. You talked about the um, obvious the challenges that you've gone through, but then this, this sense of kind of um, feeling like you need to be in control and having to let that go a little bit. God. Yeah, look, I think I've thought for a few years that God tends to find people spectacularly underqualified to get his point across. You know, St. Francis famously said, and, you know, St. Francis up there with some of our other great saints is one of the most influential in history. And, and St. Francis famously said, he was asked, why did, people, why did he think God was using him the way he was? And he said that, uh, he said that God scoured the whole world looking for the most miserable worm he could find and found Francis. Now, I'm not selling that kind of, that we need to think of ourselves that way. But my journey and any impact I've had has really come out of the enormous sort of vulnerabilities, I guess, and brokenness that I've had. And many people have heard me when I spoke in the US last year, I talked about this a lot in each each speaking engagement was when I did NCA in 2017, you know, we had about, I think maybe seven, 8,000 people in the room. Uh, what people didn't know is that I, you know, had a long background with, uh, you know, struggling with, with nerves and anxiety and people are like, but you're a speaker, you do that. And I'm like, um, yeah, it was an incredible moment. It was like, God basically said, I'm going to find somebody who struggles to do this and I'm going to put them up in front of everybody because right at that moment and, you know, I turned to Karen just before I went on stage back then. And I said, she said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I think I'm all right. And I said, why? And she goes, I'm terrified for you. I said, why? And she goes, because if you go up there and choke in front of all these people, I was like, stop. So my point is that God sort of used me because I was, I, I had to become incredibly dependent in that moment. Fast forward to the last six months, this issue I've been talking about of the paradox of control, uh, that I, I guess I've lived a lot of my life trying to make sure everything's working, you know, professionally and personally. And, um, and then I had the accident back in October where I almost, almost died. And I think I, I, it was just so confronting to realize that you, we all live our lives thinking that we have this indefinite period of time and that uh, we're kind of in control. And that accident just took that away in inside 20 seconds. And then we had the bushfires here in Australia where didn't matter how much money you had, didn't matter how much, how educated you were. Uh, it was so, it was incredible. And then the storms hit us and then COVID. So I've just been quite struck by uh, this paradox because what I'm trying to say to people is it's not like we have no control. 
So it's not as if I'm saying, well, you know, God just does everything and we do nothing. You know, we just sit back. It's too passive and it's not, it's not reality. Uh, St. Augustine said beautifully that he who made you without your cooperation will not save you without your cooperation. So God didn't ask us if we wanted to be created, but he asks us if we want to partner with him in the journey of life. So there's this weird paradox is that we, we're not in control, but, he still wants to use us to do real concrete things in the world. So all I'm, what I'm riffing on is this idea that as Catholic educators, the deeper we go into that partnership of surrender, just strange things happen. It's all I can say is that people tend to become more impactful, more influential, more creative because that's the Holy spirit. And if I'm wrong, then it undermines large parts of the gospel and definitely the, the acts of the apostles, because I mean, like I said in the video, none of the apostles had doctorates in cross-cultural communication. They, they were just emptied and dependent and amazing stuff happened. So I'll stop there because otherwise I'll just keep going for hours. So that's kind of the, the thesis of, the, of life at the moment. That's great. So we're getting to some questions. Um, the first one here is from Captain Colin. He's talking about what we're thinking about. Should we change tuition for next year if we start the year virtually? What I read into that too, and we talked a little bit about this in the podcast, is the sense of value that the Catholic school provides. That if you have the kids at home, if you're doing this distance learning, how do we ensure that uh, you know, the faith formation with the, the sense of community that we want to build in Catholic schools, how would you suggest Catholic schools really ensure that they, they maintain that? Or what are some, some things they can do to maintain that in this time of distance learning? At the very base of all of this is coming to terms with what we actually think we're offering what we think of the value of what we're offering so for years i've been saying that if this is in the australian context i say that if if what we are doing is not significantly different to every other educational offering then we have to ask ourselves what we're actually doing because you know in, in the united states obviously with 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 government schooling parents have that financial opportunity to not have to invest so much here it's a little bit different because there's there's significant government funding so this question of tuition is we have to say what is it that we are offering is it remarkable is it something we believe in passionately enough that we can say to parents yes we know this is hard we know this is expensive but we believe that partnering with you as parents we're going to be able to offer something unique remarkable that is going to be a blessing to your child for the rest of their life if we don't believe that we're always going to be always going to struggle. And I'm not, I'm not for a moment dismissing the complexities of what you face in the U S it is, um, you know, the times that I've been there, I spoke in New Mexico a few years ago, I did the archbishop's fundraiser there and you know, what it costs parents to, to, for, to pay for a great Catholic education. We just take it for granted here because it's so subsidized. So in summary, it's principles, it's teachers going, you know what, what we're doing here is incredibly valuable. We're forming souls. We're doing the integral formation of the human person. We're forming them in the image of Christ over time. We're giving them a view of the world deeply based in Christology. If we really understand what it is we're offering, we'll get to a place where you go, you know what, one way or another, we're going to find ways to fund this. We're going to convince parents that yes, it's hard, but it's worth it. So we've got to own our stuff. We've got to really come to value what it is that we're doing. Cause I think it's precious. Right. Here's a good question uh, from Ryan Colleen, I think. He says, having a work life and personal life infused with faith is a great blessing, but how do you keep a work-life balance and maintain both personal and professional faith life? And 
if I can just translate that into some, I, I, when I first started working for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, I remember a person telling me there, you got to be careful. It's hard to keep your faith when you work for the church. Yeah. Kind of this kind of funny line. And, but, you know, there's something to that too. When you're working for the church, sometimes it's your work. And so how do you maintain that personal faith when sometimes you see, um, you know, the human, normal human elements of, of all people, but working in a work environment? hundred percent. So for what it's worth, I've always had one take on this. Uh, when I was doing post-grad, I kind of, I, I came to the conclusion that there's, there's kind of two churches really. Um, there's the mystical body of Christ, which he established. So, you know, he, he establishes his church and scripturally when he sort of says, you know, you are Peter, the rock. And then, you know, in Matthew 28, he gives the great commission so there's this mystical body of Christ, which as we understand theologically is a mystical thing. So Christ promised to be with that church, his body to the end of the age. And then there's another church that sits alongside it and that's us. And that church is made up of humans. And I don't know if everyone's been paying attention, but humans are what Christopher West used to call angels. Um, at our best, we're fantastic. And at our, at our worst, we're not. So, for years here in Australia, I'd be speaking to groups of teachers and many of them were quite bitter uh, and quite angry about some of the things that had gone on. And I'd say to them, you mustn't conflate those two churches. It doesn't mean for a minute that we go, oh, we're going to turn a blind eye to anything. It just means if we link our faith and our relationship with God to what humans are doing, it, we're always going to keep hitting that same problem. So I, I've managed to navigate that personally by loving the beauty of the faith and her history and her sacraments and, and not expecting people to be perfect. And also my mother was an archbishop secretary for 25 years. So, you know, and they were, and they're good men. They are, I mean, they're all different. I mean, they're humans. We're all so, so look, my, my simple answer would be that I hold those two things in tension. And secondly, if, if there was something in that question around work-life balance, that, that's a that's a big question especially for teachers because you give and you give and you give you're professional givers and wherever you fall on that introversion extroversion scale too like i remember my first week of teaching when i graduated started my first school that first week i was just it was the exhaustion you know and and um so whether people you know whether we answer that now or i can get onto that later but the work-life balance the maintaining creativity so that you don't get burned out and, and exhausted by it. So there's a few thoughts on those different issues and maybe we can hit the, the balance thing again. That's great. Cause I think there, uh, there's something there too. Uh, we can share. I know Kathy, you have a question. Why don't we turn it to Kathy? I do from, from Nicole who's listening and um, tuning in. So to speak, Jonathan, my question is, or Nicole's question is you talk about the work life balance and she's wondering, how do you, as a teacher, maintain the structure and, you know, telling children assignments are due now, when we're in this pandemic, everybody's living differently than they've ever lived before. How do you hold children accountable to deadlines? Should we even be doing that at this point when you make assignments and things like that? And just as a parent, how, what, what's your feeling on that? How should teachers be dealing with this? Look, Karen and I are, an, are incredibly experienced homeschooling parents. It's going on three weeks now, and um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're ready to write a book <laughs> on parental mental health. <laughs> um, 
what I would say initially is humans are phenomenally habitual creatures. We flourish under habits and virtue itself is, is, is habits, right? So the first thing is that whatever is habit-based and functional, not habit-based and dysfunctional, whatever's habit-based and functional will often serve us. So I would say whatever structure we can keep up can be pretty helpful. Speaking as a parent, if I know that the school is going, we need this, we need this, we need this, that helps us. So, yeah, and I guess the contrary position would be, well, parents are working from home, they're stressed, how can they stay on top of all this? I think the more structure we have at the moment, probably the better. Um, Again, I love that word. It's a paradox. The, the lack of structure also contains some blessings. We've had, you know, our kids are on effectively on holidays at the moment. And there's, you know, the, the, the opportunity for them to play and get out with friends has been wonderful. So I guess part of the question I'm hearing is, well, in an unstructured time, should we keep up the structure? Yeah, I think so. Just my opinion. That's all it is, is it helps us as parents to go now this, now this, now this. It, I think so. I think it can be helpful. And, and teachers just need to back themselves. High standards. You rarely hear parents going, we're really tired of these high standards. We, we really want you to lower them. We, we often prefer, I think, to go to know that our teachers are, are pushing our kids a little bit. I think you're probably right on that. Um, the next question talks about um, what kind of disposition do you think that teachers in Catholic schools need to have in order to be successful? The Christian life is a race to the bottom. Ambition is always somewhat problematic in the Catholic context. The, the church herself talks about, um, Pope Benedict used to talk about this thing called the hierarchy of service, because a lot of people would criticize the hierarchy. It was like, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to get into a debate on that. I'm just, I liked his language, the hierarchy of service. If you're the Pope, then your job is to, you know, one of the beautiful titles for the Pope, of course, is, you know, the servant of the servants of God. So seeking success in a Catholic school, first thing we talk about is, well, how do you define it? What's success? Um, we've all grown up with Maslow and I did a lot of postgrad on Maslow and he's a far more complex character than, than you, people realize. And in many ways, a very conflicted character. His hierarchy obviously finishes with self-actualization. Um, and like a lot of stuff with Freud, for many years, we've imbibed that and thought, well, you know, we hear about Maslow so much, it must be true. Um, Thomas Merton beautifully said that self-actualization, success, isn't the point. He said self-transcendence is. There was a beautiful line in Merton's Seven Story Mountain where he said um, that the goal of life is not self-actualization, it's self-transcendence. How can you recollect yourself so you can fully give? So what that means is actualizations, it's, it's important by which we mean, you know, fully using our gifts. So success would be if you've got these capacities, you're, you're great with kids, you're a good communicator, you're a great writer, whatever your gifts are, it, it would be a tragedy to live your life having never used them. But beyond that is why do we want to realize the gifts so we can, we can bless people? Success in a Catholic school would be somebody who in a deep partnership with God was deploying their unique gifts as a blessing to others to build up the kingdom of God. 
So often I used to say on stage, you know, because I'd, I'd be there with thousands of people and, and this is really hard to talk about because it, I don't want to diminish anything, but like, it ain't me. Like there's a gifting that I have and a life story and all the things that have made me who I am. But then it's just this, the more that I kind of let the Holy spirit be present, things happen. So for me, success in a Catholic school would be the degree of your partnership with the Holy spirit, because then it's on, it's on the, it's on the spirit. So it's this weird partnership where, you know, if people are desperate to get into leadership, well, the first question is why here in my country, and I don't know how many people from Australia are tuning in, I'm going to lose some followers now because of the huge amount of government funding and the huge number of schools we have relatively people do definitely chase a career ladder and not always for the right reasons. So success is, is to serve and to really serve deeply in the gifts that you have. And I said to Kevin, I think on the podcast, one of my favorite quotes from Christine Kane, who's a great speaker. She says, I love this line. She says, if God wants you, he knows where to find you. So if you're pushing yourself forward, it had better be because you're just desperate to serve more people. What you were talking about was making me think of a book um, by David Brooks called The Road to Character. Yeah, and it great book. It's about a yeah. rabbi who had Adam 1 and Adam 2. He used the terms, I think, resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Yeah. Resume virtues, the skills you need for life and for success and to be industrious and all those things. But the eulogy virtues are obviously those things, love, care, relationships, connection, things you want people to say at your eulogy when you die yeah. and the balance of those things. And I've given a lot of thought to that in my career in Catholic schools over the years, because I feel like when Catholic schools are really effective, they're making sure they're addressing those eulogy virtues as much as they are the resume virtues, where hypothetically picture a school that doesn't do that. It's very focused on academics, very focused on success, very focused on making sure kids are prepared for, you know, the future in either academia or, career. Um, and yet education and our formation is really about making sure there's a balance between those two things. And I'll just repeat the book one more time because I had a question about that. The Road to Character by David Brooks. But go ahead and if you would, John. Yeah, fantastic book. I read that a few years ago and I was so impressed with it. I bought a copy. Um, at that time I was coaching a guy who was a, a, a international rugby player and I just sent him a copy straight away. I said, you got to read this. Brooks writes some great stuff. In fact, he wrote recently some really good stuff in the Atlantic on family. Again, you know, it's like the, the, our faith, our Catholic tradition has this incredible richness that we often have not forgotten necessarily, but it's not front of mind. Virtue, these habits of life, these ways of being in the world. And I just think, it's, it's really hard. I, I think it's, we underestimate how difficult it is to form character, the value of forming character. I mean, look at our, if we look at our political systems globally and our media and stuff, it's highly adversarial and there's no comment either way. It just is what it is. But you see that in what we call the world system, like you look at Augustine's city of, city of man, city of God, you win by dominating. You win by, by projecting your excellence and, and beating the other person and seeking more and more and more. Whereas, as I said in that short video, Easter is like, it's the race to the bottom. It's like the most powerful became powerless. It's a risk many people struggle to take. It's like, will God catch me if I stop pushing? You know, will, 
you know, God wants me. Does he know where to find me? Maybe I'll just help him out. Maybe I'll just, you know, push myself a little bit further forward. All I can tell people is that, that any success I've had in life has just come from, from that partnership. And a certain peace comes because you don't have to worry too much about pushing yourself forward. Um, it doesn't mean you don't pursue excellence, you, but, but you're pursuing it for a particular reason. Um, because it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. It, it honors the gifts that God's given you. And everybody listening has, you know, I'm so convinced of this has been given unique and specific gifts. The worst thing, uh, you know, what's the old saying that the, the worst thing is to have the ladder of success pushed up against the wrong wall. You know, we want to, we want to succeed at things that are significant and meaningful. Yeah. So we have a question here too, and, and I will tell you, um, it's interesting because um, we've talked to some high school principals especially, and they say the two things that they've gotten, you know, the most angst about is canceling prom and canceling graduation or having the fear of, of doing that. And so this question is about how do we muster up the courage to speak with hope and confidence to our seniors, high school seniors during virtual graduations in this time of great uncertainty? That is so hard. You know, just hearing that because there's such an integral part of what makes a great school community, right? How do you do that? All I could offer would be to say that it's in these moments of of real sadness and difficulty that leadership is genuinely crucial, which I think means that leaders have to reflect deeply and pray deeply and then be creative. I mean, what what virtual ways can you come up with to to do the best you can? So this is a case of speaking life into difficult situations things can be rescheduled i mean this is i keep saying to people this is going to pass it's here in australia it's now i don't think we've had a new infection here for 48 hours so things are going to change maybe it just means that these things are going to be redone a little bit later and uh and and because of that they'll be even more joyful so the leader's job at this you know what was it Napoleon used to say? The leader's job is the first task of the leader is to define reality. And the last is to say, thank you. Max Dupree's quote. I love it. Oh, yeah. Is it really? So I think it's uh, that leaders sometimes have to define reality here. This is not, you know, be able to say to your seniors and speak the truth and don't diminish it. Don't say, Hey, we're not going to worry about this. This is great. You'd be going to be honest and go, you must be really feeling it right now. Tell the truth, tell the truth, define what things are going to be like when this is over and then trust that it can be somehow rescheduled and will be all the more joyful because of it. I think there's so much to that. I think it's also speaking to the fact as adults, sometimes, you know, I can be this way. It's like, you know, we had, we had generations that had to send 18 year olds off to war to fight. Or we yeah. had, there had been other challenges and yet for them, this is their pain. And we have to honor that fact that they're in this angst about graduation or prom or whatever that issue is. But yeah. also, of that hope that you you state I think is so right that I I would imagine in 10 years these seniors were going to lose out and it's going to be sad for them they might look back on this and think about it as an impactful time of their lives because they yeah. weren't able to graduate in person and had to go through this they're going to think about that and in some way that's not exclusively negative I think no I mean adversity you never have to go looking for it because sooner or later in life it shows up especially if you live long enough but adversity, adversity is a crucible. It just seems to do things to people. And it's these moments, you know, looking back to the accident. And even when I did that video, looking at the photographs, 
you know, often, I think I said this on the podcast to you. I'm not one of those guys that goes, yeah, it was such a great experience. You know, I wouldn't change it for anything. Yes, I would. <laughs> if God could say, hey, here's a time machine. You want to go back and have your hands back? Yep. But when difficult things come, you're left with, I mean, this goes to Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, right? So Frankl's logotherapy is basically that what you're left with when something happens is the story that you decide to tell yourself about it. So it's the ability to impose meaning on something. I don't quite believe that events are utterly neutral. Things that can be genuinely sad. And, but I think these times of adversity for our young people and for our teachers, you're right. They're going to be times that we will look back and say, you remember when, and, and again, it's just an opportunity to go, to go into deeper dependence, uh, when the global system's under this much pressure, you, it's such a wake-up call. It's like, well, we're not actually, we can't, we, we, you know, when this COVID thing first came out, I was walking around with one of my daughters and I was like, it was a beautiful day. And I thought the whole world is paralyzed by this invisible thing. And we see that control thing again. So, so yeah, adversity, it's the crucible. Speak life into difficult circumstances and trust that, as we become dependent, he'll strengthen us and bring us through it. Great. And then we have another question from Kathy. Kathy's going to take. So Jonathan, Regina asks, says that she's so busy finding new ways to, and trying to deal with new challenges every day. So what do you suggest to her to focus, to quiet herself, to pray and spend time with the Lord to kind of wind down so that you can, you know, be still and know that I am God, that he is yeah. God. Yeah. That's an easy one. Okay. He says, um, dramatically. Okay. Two things I'd offer. And again, I think I shared some of this with you, Kevin, recently. We're incredibly habitual creatures. So having habits in place around prayer have just been non-negotiable for me for probably 30 years, give or take now. So how do we find that time with the Lord? Well, we will rarely feel like it. I keep saying to people in multiple different contexts, if you are waiting to have profound spiritual feelings, you may get them and God may, may do that. But if you want to have that time with him, then it's like making time to be with a good friend. You can't just think about making time to be with your friend indefinitely. Sooner or later you have to. So these habits. So for me, that means a very structured kind of morning prayer routine that I've had for many years. So we, we want to have those habits and structures in place dealing with the complexity and all of this stuff. What I've been teaching now for weeks is this idea of, uh, of really 24 hour blocks is anxiety grows in sort of relationship to how we conceptualize time. So if we start thinking in six month blocks, one year blocks, what's going to happen when, what's going to happen in three weeks. Uh, it's, it's very hard for us to manage it. So I'm very much about 24 hour blocks at the moment. What do I need to do? What can I do to get through this 24 hours? And then the next 24 hours, we call it shrinking your world. So anxiety and stress comes from this big expansive overwhelm. As you shrink that down, it brings a certain peace. It's like, it's a mental trick. And I'm, I've had to work very hard at this to go, right, 24 hours. I'm going to just, I'm going to do this with the kids. I'm going to do this for my online learning stuff. I'm going to do this for prayer. So get structure around that. I do think structure is helpful. Habits, um, exercise can be a big one, whatever that means for people. Again, from whatever level you're at now, but just having time to walk, to decompress. 
so those are the practical things that I'm doing and teaching at the moment that are, that are quite useful um, habits, 24 hour blocks, and this is going to pass. Thank you. We had a great comment from Debbie about, wouldn't it be great if the whole world were paralyzed by the invisible Holy Spirit? <laughs> well, that's the, that's the, it will be eventually, um, you know, it will be. And how does that actually happen? It happens through individual people. We obviously, in addition to our schools and our Catholic schools, we're very concerned about our churches are closed and our, our priests are feeling a lot of pressure and um, obviously collections and, you know, that supports the church and supports schools in some ways. How can we as Catholic educators um, help our priests, help our parishes, help our parish staff, those people who are really trying to keep all of that going too? Are, are there things you'd suggest for Catholic educators to be thinking about or, or doing in that regard? Yeah, it's such a poignant experience, isn't it? The first thing I'd say about that is uh, Augustine beautifully said that we esteem but lightly what we gain too easily. So, you know, in essence, we don't, sometimes we, we don't value what we have easy access to, right? My office here, the cathedral is about 100 meters away. And so I'd be going to daily mass there because it was just so close. And then suddenly you can't get the sacraments and it's like, gosh, all those times I was there, I never knew this was going to happen. So the first reflection on that is when the churches reopen, I hope that all of us, two things. One is that we will deeply appreciate the sacramental grace, but also just the beauty of being in a church. Just we're humans, we're sensory beings. We tend to need these spaces and all of us will have different. And one of the beautiful things about the travel I get to do is, seeing these amazing churches all over the world. You know, when, last time I was in Washington, going to the Basilica there and, and being in Minneapolis. I mean, they got two, they got a cathedral and a basilica. So when this is over, let's, let's all double down in gratitude for the sacraments and for the beauty of places to pray and the communities of which they are. For what it's worth, I'm a little confused by how quickly they were shut, at least here in our country. They were shut so quick. And, you know, you can, you can still go to lots of shops here. You can still go to like what we would call Walmart. You can still go there with hundreds of people, but you can't go into church. Anyway, that, that confused me a little bit. I think we could have probably done better. How do we support our priests? Uh, practically, it's a decision. I just think if you have a relationship, a good relationship with your parish priest, pick up your phone in the next 24 hours and just send a message. Hey, how you doing? Just check in on people. So we're all building virtual communities at the moment. So check in on, on your priests. Uh, I think a lot of them would just be missing the pastoral work. They'd be missing a lot of stuff. So, and many of them, of course, don't have an immediate family. They don't have spouses. They don't have kids. So um, there's a challenge to everybody, you know, in the next 24 hours, reach out to, a, one, to your pastor and say, how you doing? Just want to check on you. We're coming close to the end of our time. If anyone has any final questions, please be sure to post them. I want to just take an opportunity to thank you, Jonathan. You and I have spoken a lot the last Yeah. I'm talking to you more than my wife. <laughs> so it's been great, though. It's been so uh, such a blessing for me to, to hear your wisdom. And, and I said this in the podcast, but I thank you for all the work that you do because you are an inspiration to so many Catholic educators who are doing that work on the front lines every day. And they, they follow you on social media and they're, they're inspired by your, your wisdom and all that you share. So thank you for that, I think, is the first, first thing I want to say. And then I'll let Kathy close us out here. 
We have one more question, Kevin. So let's 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 take that if we could. Um, Jonathan, the question is, how can we help explain God's love to our preschoolers and primary grade students in light of the pandemic? How do they know? I, I have to tell you that my grandson told me that God made germs today. Oh, so really? I said, really? And he said, he did. So they're not all bad. That's what he told me. So they're not all bad. It's, it's good that we're finishing with an easy question. I mean, basically this question is, is you know, why is there good and evil? <laughs> why do bad things happen to good people? The first thing I'd say is, is, like all of these difficult questions, it's an opportunity. How do we catechize and explain to young people how a loving God permits these things to happen? So that's a huge opportunity right there. I know Bishop Barron talks about this a lot with the nun, the, the knowns or the nuns, you know, those, those vast numbers of young people that have walked away from their faith. A lot of them have walked away over this sort of thing. You know, this kind of question of, you know, if God's loving, if, if he is who I'm told he is, then, then how does this happen? So teaching it to my own kids practically, I mean, for what it's worth quickly, practically, how do you do it? You make the point to young children that, you know, original sin, free will, all of that stuff, if that didn't happen, then God would have created robots. Um, and then, of course, you say to little kids, because we have this freedom, our first parents made that, you know, I'm not trying to turn this into a catechesis, catechetical lesson, but I would come at that very basic level of God wanted us to be free because we're free, use the Genesis story, maybe teaching it to little kids appropriately. And this is the great gift to Catholic educators the create the creativity, the intelligence, the pastoral sensitivity, the ability to just gently speak this story into their lives over the next week or two weeks or six months. When they come back to school, maybe spend some time doing that because it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. These difficult questions are a wonderful opportunity. I've got a brother who's, you know, sort of battled with his faith for many years and the evangelization process has been wrestling with these many deep questions. So whether you're a preschooler or a, you know, crusty atheist, these deep questions are a great opportunity. And look, as I finish, Kevin, just on what you've said, um, another great quote I, I like is that you can tell when something's from God, when you've tried to leave it alone, but you can't. I scratch myself. I'm like, why, why am I so interested in Catholic teachers. And I just, I just think that when a Catholic teacher is in deep relationship with God, they truly are God's hand and feet. You know, in live seminars, I say that the, the, the Trinity, the, the divine Godhead is unlikely to appear in physical manifestation at the front of a classroom in the short term. Now it could happen, so if God doesn't appear physically at the front of a classroom during a religious education lesson or a maths lesson or something, then how does he appear? And I think he appears through Catholic teachers. So for as long as he wants me to talk about it, I'll keep talking about it. And when he wants me to stop, I'll stop. But I have a great admiration and concern and care for every Catholic teacher listening to this and, and around the world. I think, you know, he's just getting started with you, right? there's just these endless depths and layers. The deeper you go into relationship with God, the more he uses you. So I'm going to stop myself now. Otherwise I'll start another homily. Well, thank you, Jonathan. We appreciate you very much. And we appreciate the time you've taken to be with us tonight.